Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner of the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in the General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service. Tiffany, always a pleasure to catch up, and thank you so much for taking the time. Great to see you, Jason, and thank you. I appreciate it. There's a lot going on across your your organization, and so we got to start at the most important thing that I think people are really watching and and wanting to know what's going on. Oasis Plus, I think uh, there's a lot of industry interest. There's a lot of folks across the government. I spoke with uh, the Homeland Security Department uh, Chief Procurement Officer, uh, Paul Courtney, recently, and he said they're even watching Oasis Plus and, and, are ha- and, and are having lots of meetings with GSA. So what is the latest? Uh, fill me in on what's going on with Oasis Plus. Well, it, it is an exciting time for the, the program. We are in the, the throes, right, of getting ready to issue the final request for proposals. And just to bring everybody up to speed in terms of where we've been, in November, we released the first draft, the request for proposals. And left that open until I think late December, early January, and received about 2,200 questions. Along with the RFP, we had uh, also solicited, we issued a survey with the draft to get some pretty specific feedback in terms of specific elements of the acquisition strategy that we wanted to get feedback from industry on. And we were really fortunate to have about 680 of those surveys submitted back to us. So we really appreciated that that feedback in given the amount of feedback that we got. It took us most of January and February to kind of process that. And so then we issued a second draft RFP on March 6th. And the intent of that draft really was to say, this is what we heard. Here are the things that changed. Uh, here's why we changed them, you know, based on feedback that we had received um, from an industry. And we we did host uh, an industry day on March 15th, really to walk all of the offers through what was in the second draft, what we're trying to accomplish uh, through some of the strategy changes. And we had about 2,700 uh, attendees um, at that event, which was really spectacular. I'm really glad that folks participated. And we're still getting uh, feedback from industry in on that second draft and are folding, you know, are l- crossing our T's, dotting our I's, uh, getting these last minute changes into the final RFP so we can get ready to release it. And you know, I'm going to ask the question of what is your goal to release the final RFP? And you can just be as general as you need to be. Was it the summer, the, the fall, early 2024? Any any dates you can offer? Any oh, we're, we are at the cusp uh, of issuing the, the final RFP. We're just getting through our some final clearances. There are some pretty unique features in the contract that required some special attention from our senior procurement executives. So we are working and getting through those final reviews. And once that's complete, we'll be issuing the, the RFP. So really very, very soon, within weeks. That's what I can tell you. And we know that anytime you talk about government and timelines, it's always tough because there's some lawyer that's somewhere that will put their foot in and then all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, you know, we are so lucky. Um, we really, really are on this program. We have a wonderful team of counsel that is supporting us and getting uh, a really great procurement package out the door. 
you know where to send the cookies to. You know where to send the fruit baskets to. I get it. Uh, all good. <laughs> I, I want to go back to something, though. You, as you said, you learned a lot from draft one to draft two. You've learned a lot again, hopefully, from to draft to, to the final draft. Generally speaking, what are some of those big changes that you you took from industry and you applied to whether it's the second draft or if you can give us anything about the, the final draft uh, that will how that will look like and how that was influenced by the feedback. A couple of areas that we asked for specific feedback on. Uh, a lot of the feedback that we got really affirmed some of the the strategy that we have baked into the draft RFP. Uh, we asked for feedback on um, a, a 10-year period of performance. You know, how does industry feel about that? And we got positive feedback, so we left that in. The NAICS strategy, and I know this is like some hardcore procurement mumbo jumbo here, but NAICS codes are really important uh, to ordering contracting officers in, in terms of, and in, into in the procurement itself. It, NAICS codes really drive the domain that they're going to compete task orders in. And we spent a lot of time working through, do we have the right NAICS codes aligned to the functional areas Domains are really our version of functional areas in the RFP and spent a lot of time with industry talking through that. Uh, the feedback that they gave us ranged from substantive, would like, hey, we think you forgot these particular NAICS codes that really need to be in there, to, you know, other minor details uh, around making sure that NAICS codes lined up. And it was really very, very helpful. So we made a number of changes uh, related to the NAICS code structures uh, in, in all of the draft RFPs. We asked industry for feedback on, we were looking potentially to do CPARS ratings at the master contract level, which is not necessarily something that we do on all of our IDIQ contracts and got feedback from industry that in general, they thought that would be a positive thing. Regrettably, the CPAR system um, doesn't support uh, the kind of evaluations that we would like to do um, on this RFP, mostly around timeframes. Uh, CPARS requires annual reviews for at the IDIQ level for a contract of this size. We didn't think that really made sense. Um, so I think we're going to pivot and, and do a, a different approach. Uh, in terms of how we're handling performance assessments. Uh, in the RFP itself, there is a whole slew of contract deliverables, reporting, performance requirements, and that kind of thing. So I think we're going to work with industry in developing a performance scorecard that will be shared between our contracting officers uh, and industry so we can manage performance jointly throughout the ordering period of the contract. So that was a really meaningful round of dialogue with industry around that. Industry agrees, hey, having something to fall back on in terms of us being able to say we performed really well overall in the Oasis Plus contract, they viewed as as a good thing. We just need to think through the mechanics and, and put something in place that's going to work for everybody. So that was great. Got a lot of feedback about some of the draft sustainability requirements. We were leaning forward a little bit, a little uh, ahead of a draft rule that is out for comment right now around greenhouse gas reporting. Got a lot of feedback from industry asking us to, to maybe roll that back a little bit and let the rulemaking process work. And 
And then we could go forward and include uh, additional greenhouse gas uh, reporting requirements in the RFP. Uh, we did make an adjustment there, in particular for small businesses. They felt that they, they really needed a little more time to understand the rule and its impact on you know, their operations and reporting and that kind of thing. So we really appreciated feedback from, from industry on that. And we will pace that work. Uh, to align with uh, that rulemaking process. We also spent a lot of time talking about teaming and clarifying language in the RFP around teaming, uh, especially in the small business space. There is some complexity around if if a small business does decide to team, and no one has to have a team uh, to be able to propose on Oasis Plus. But if they do choose to team and want to leverage the qualifications of one of their partners, there are some, some specific things that need to happen as part of the offer process. So we got some good feedback around our language needing to be a little clearer. So we cleared that up. Um, Also around qualifying projects and experience levels. We got some good feedback on that. And then finally, we also are including uh, supply chain risk management uh, plans as part of the contract deliverables. That is something that is new to industry and got some good feedback around, hey, can especially on the small business side, can you help us understand what it is you're looking for? Are there templates? Can we support them with maybe some training in terms of what the government's expectations are um, as part of that that supply chain risk management planning? So um, those are some of the key areas uh, that we got feedback in and spent had some deep discussions on uh, with industry. I really appreciate the outline of everything. And, and there's a bunch I'd like to go back to. Let me, let me go back to the CPARS piece. Cause I think that's, it's, it's been a, a bit of a bugaboo for a lot of uh, companies and the government over the last, you know, three, four, five years. The idea was because the way the CPAR systems currently works, you couldn't do more often assessments, meaning, okay, I won an award. I worked on that task order for six months. Here's a CPARS mm-hmm. assessment. It had to be just the once a year that Tiffany Hickson and Associates gets this rating from me as the agency. Explain a little bit more about what the challenge was to use the current system. And what are you thinking about? How, and then we'll talk about maybe the performance scorecard approach a little bit. It was actually the opposite problem for us. We wanted to do the reviews less often than annually. And right now the system doesn't allow us to do that. We would have to like put in some dummy report or something. And that didn't seem to make sense on on a procurement of this size, given the number of contracts that we're going to be managing. So it was really that challenge, which is a systems challenge. And so that's really the discussion that that we were having. And, you know, really annually, you want to be able to give contractors time, right, to compete on task orders, win task orders, perform on task orders, in addition to the other laundry list of deliverables, right, that we have in the contract. And for an IDIQ, right, it's going to take you a number of years to be able to demonstrate that performance. So CPARS just didn't neatly line up, right, to the performance um, reviews that really we want to do for the program. Can you just maybe talk a little bit about what this could look like? Maybe it's not 100% and you want to wait till the uh, final RFP comes out, but is, is what's there some of the thinking around what a performance scorecard could, could offer? If you look in the RFP, there is, I think, 20, 25 different performance requirements. That's a lot to track. Um, and we're feeling pretty sensitive about small business having a clear picture of that. So literally, it'll be a list of those requirements and the contracting officer's assessment of where the contractor is at in uh, achieving or 
meeting the requirements of those deliverables. And those range from the C-SCRIM plan. So one has to be submitted with the offer and we're probably going to have a few rounds to go to make sure that that's an acceptable deliverable. Are they participating in the contract program and competing on task orders? There are benchmarks for that. Are they winning work? What's the sales level, right? And what are they winning in terms of those task orders over the first five years? There are goals for that. If it's an unrestricted uh, or a large unrestricted company, um, did they submit their small business subcontracting plan results on time? Um, Do we have their reports? If it is a small business, where are we at in terms of complying with the 50% rule? So there really is a whole laundry list of things that our contractors have to comply with. Sustainability reporting, the FAR requires some of that today. And is that reporting happening and happening in a timely manner? So it will really be a, a checklist of are you complying with the terms of the contract? And that will be updated on a regular basis and will serve as a conversation uh, between the contracting officer and the contractor about like, hey, are you meeting the mark? Are you not meeting the mark? And if they need um, to improve their performance, we can have a conversation about that before it becomes a problem. Like a dashboard. I'm glad you asked that that last piece there, because I think that's the question. How are you going to use it? And I imagine that without getting ahead of yourself too much, because it hasn't even been launched yet and you haven't made awards yet, that if somebody, if a contractor's not meeting those goals, there's an off-ramp ability. I think that's one of the pieces to Oasis Plus is, and we'll talk about this is the on-ramps and the off-ramps. You know, again, you could say, hey, it's been three years. You haven't done anything. You haven't met any of these goals. It's, it's, it's time for you to go. Yeah, there is an off-ramping provision, um, and that's really at the discretion of the contracting officer based on the contractor's performance. We're pretty generous in terms of the the cycle times for when we do those assessments. Generally, it's going to be at the option period, which will be, you know, after really gives everyone five years uh, to be able to demonstrate performance, and unless there's something egregious in there, right, related to you're not complying with your C-SCRIM plan or or, you know, there is some significant performance issue outside of those things, right? If you're not meeting your targets, you're not reporting, you're not participating, um, we won't exercise the option. And we'll be using this tool to help us make that decision. All right. I appreciate the explanation. I think that there's a lot of interest in, in performance requirements as and CPARS is growing over, over the last a few years. Tiffany, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we can come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I want to touch upon the other piece that you mentioned, which is about teaming and clarifying language around teaming. Uh, did this also include joint ventures in there as, as part of that teaming discussion? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. That's right. And we're not doing anything fancy um, on Oasis Plus uh, related to teaming or joint ventures. We literally are adhering to the standards uh, of the FAR that allow this um, and to the rules in particular for joint ventures um, with, with SBA. So there are no a- additional requirements that we're baking into teaming, but there's a lot of complexity there. So we do 
do spend quite a bit of time talking about that complexity and making sure that everybody understands if you're going to come in with a team and claim credit, right, from one of your teaming partners, they have to be a small business um, or a similarly situated small business, you know, that kind of. We know there's been a lot of discussion about teaming joint ventures in, in the federal community and the acquisition folks. Uh, and there's been maybe even some concerns that, you know, again, the pendulum may have swung too far about teaming and joint ventures. Did you take what maybe some of the challenges that other folks, other agencies saw with teaming and joint ventures and try to, okay, how do we avoid those challenges? How do we ensure that we're not putting non-teamed, non-joint ventured small businesses at a disadvantage versus those who are teamed or joint ventured? A good example, obviously, is is using past performance as an evaluation criteria over, you know, oh, show me, uh, you get more points if you have higher dollar figure past performance, right? $20 million mm-hmm. contract, $50 million contract, $500 million contract. Did you kind of use some of those lessons learned from others in the procurement community? Mostly no. And here's why. Because when we did the Oasis on-ramps, we learned a lot. Um, around. It was really when the on-ramps happened, it was after a lot of the regulations um, had changed around JVs and uh, small business teams. So we had a lot of practice um, as part of the on-ramps in folding in those regulations into our evaluation criteria and understood really at at that point, one, what the complexity was, how we were going to implement it, and being pretty straightforward about it seemed like the right answer, and it was. Uh, we really did not have any challenges um, on the Oasis on-ramps around JVs or our, our teaming language, and why mess was a, with a good thing, right? Um, and continued with that practice on uh, Oasis Plus. Keep it simple. That's basically where we're coming from on that. I appreciate that. I know the only reason I asked is because I know that there's, uh, again, a lot of focus on a number of different procurements about this. And I, again, I know you pay attention across the government to, to the challenges others face. So I, I didn't know if there was, uh, again, something you are, are taking a look at. One last thing about Oasis Plus, and then well, there's so much other things to talk about, of course, is when you talk about the number of people at your industry today, 2,700 people. Again, I know it's not 2,700 companies, multiple companies, multiple people, mm-hmm. but you're going to get, I imagine you're, you're expecting to get 600, 800 bids. How many bids are you expecting to get? How are you guarding against the protest delay, protest delay that a lot of these large government-wide acquisition type contracts fall under. A couple of things that are unique about this acquisition strategy, and I don't think that we're going to avoid protests. Protests are an important part of the source selection process. They're part of due diligence. You know, we had to take corrective action on protests because, you know, we missed something in an offer, didn't get it right, those types of things. We went through that with Oasis, uh, the Oasis on-ramps. It's just, you know, part of the process and you, you plan for that. That said, we've had a lot of practice in dealing with some of those challenges. And we're hoping that a couple of features on Oasis Plus is, is part of how we're handling the offer process will, will help us. And two features uh, that we have uh, in this contract program that we did not have um, on o- Oasis are two things. One, there's no cap on awards. Effectively, if you meet the standard of the contract program that you're applying for, and there are six 
um, separate contract programs under uh, Oasis Plus. If you meet the standards, you are responsible, all the rest of that kind of good stuff, um, you will get an award. Um, We're trying to make that very clear out of the gate. So you know before you submit your offer whether or not you're going to meet that standard or if you're not. Hopefully that will help. Um, and the second um, is that we're not going to have any cap on the number of awards that we are making for Oasis Plus. So there aren't 80 seats, 100 spots, 200 spots. There are spots if you are qualified. And we are hoping that, that that's going to help us. There's some other things we're doing too, but those are kind of the big things from a strategy perspective. And hopefully that will turn down the volume. And you're right. The last thing is as we, after we get through the initial source selection, let's say your company is not qualified today, but in two more years, when we're done with the initial source selection, you know, you've got the the right level of experience and can qualify for the contract program. We're going to be reopening the solicitation. And our goal is to leave that uh, solicitation open for the duration of the program. My guess is as we get towards the end of the ordering period, right, in year nine and 10, it may not make sense uh, for us to keep the solicitation open for, you know, a year left of an ordering period. But for all intents and purposes, we're, we're looking at reopening it. So when you're ready to come in, you can. If you miss the window to submit an offer, you know what, the window's going to open back up so you can come back in. If you are new to the federal market and weren't interested three years ago because you're a commercial company, but now you're thinking, hmm, maybe this government thing isn't such a bad idea. You can come in uh, and, and put in an offer. So hopefully that that will help, right, with some of the, the downward pressure that we get with uh, companies feeling like they have been, you know, kind of locked out of the program. I was going to ask about the on-ramp because I think this is one of the most innovative things GSA has done. If you look at what GSA did with Polaris as an example, you just made awards under Polaris in cohorts, right? If you didn't make cohort one, that's right. You could do cohort two. And if you didn't get by cohort three, if you didn't get on, you probably don't deserve to. And I think that's a, it's a much fairer way of looking at this. I thought you all were doing a very similar thing, maybe not in cohorts, but I thought that after the initial awards, it's going to open up. So maybe just clarify, do you think it's going to take two years to get the awards made, or it's going to take two years until the on-ramp happens to give those first sets of companies that win that opportunity to start working against the contract to, to start winning uh, task orders? Yeah, I think it's going to probably take us 18 months to get through the entire source selection process. And we are going to be um, uh, awarding in phases. And well, it was a brilliant strategy by my friends over in ITC. We actually did that on the Oasis on-ramps and tested out <laughs> who's most innovative first. We tested out uh, that approach on the Oasis on-ramps and it was really effective and so has been adopted by other contract programs. So we're going to continue that as well. And it's a great way for us to get the program uh, started um, while we work through. So for example, what we did with the Oasis on ramps and what we'll likely do here is for the first wave of offers, let's say we have no questions. We validated everyone's offers. They absolutely qualify. We'll go ahead and award, you know, that tranche first. Uh, there's some art to this in the small business contract programs. We want to make sure that that first tranche happens across all of those small business contract programs at the same time. 
So we're being a little sensitive to that. But the the second tranche of awards, right, would happen with those contractors. Well, we needed to go back and get clarifications. We needed to validate something. There was, you know, discussions that we needed to have. Then we'll finish that up. And then you're right. The the last group tends to be either we we really were having a problem. Maybe there was a protest, right? So we're working through making sure we didn't miss something. And then we award that, that last group. So we do intend on doing that on Oasis Plus 2 or as well. And that's helpful. Our current OASIS contract programs expire in calendar year 2024. So we want to make sure that we've got awards in place for agencies to use with this contract program before OASIS expires. At least the ordering period expires. There'll still be task orders that are happening. Now, Tiffany, I know I did this to you before and my apologies. I gave a lot of credit to somebody for doing a contract without a ceiling and you said, no, we did this before. So uh, <laughs> I will apologize again for saying that Polaris was the first one to do it in tranches. I, I will admit maybe I just, I didn't get to talk to you. And that that's why I'll blame that if, you, if that's okay. It's not true because we talked when we were doing it in the on-ramps. Nice try. Though. Well, I had to have an excuse. So uh, I'll take whatever I can It was get. a long time ago. So let's put it that way. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, 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 I'll blame my memory. Tiffany, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we can come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I really appreciate all the time you spent on Oasis Plus. Let's talk about some other things because because professional sure. services is much more than just Oasis and Oasis Plus. Let's talk about your 2022. You've seen a lot of growth over to your 2021 and, and how is yeah. 2023 looking? Well, let's talk about the growth that happened between 21 and 22. For professional services government-wide, I'll just talk about the category for a, a few minutes. It really was astonishing, at least even to me how much growth happened in terms of professional services spend in the federal government. It was another 9% increase in overall obligations for a total of about $110 billion. So there is a lot of work happening in this space. And I think that really you know, was driven in part by the pandemic. There are you know, some unique things that have happened over the last couple of fiscal years that really required agencies to lean on their service providers, uh, in addition to you know, big investments that the Department of Defense is making for their major programs that leverage professional services to execute them. So you know, my expectation for 23 is I would be surprised if we had another 9% increase in, in terms of spend, but I, I think it's probably going to be around that mark by the time we get to you know, the end of, end of the fiscal year. So uh, a lot of work uh, is happening for sure. In terms of trends uh, in, in 22, we also saw a, a slight increase in the amount of small business spend that was happening uh, in the category. Um, we, of course, are, are pushing for that to continue on a number of fronts. And what we've seen for some of our 
our best in class contract programs is really that's where we're seeing a lot of small small business usage and they are helping us to drive improvements uh, on that front. There was about last year about thirty billion dollars in spend uh, that went to to small business, or about twenty nine percent of overall spend for for the category, which is is healthy, and we're looking to improve. Sure, let me jump in real quick on that. The nine sure. percent increase you're talking about—that's the one hundred ten billion. That's across the entire government. That's just not just GSA. That's on that. Oh yes, that's right. absolutely across the entire government. I've got my government wide category, category executive hat yeah. on. Yeah. So let's talk then let's talk a little bit more about category management and some of the those trends, whether it's best in class or not, which you and I could debate another time about the uh, name of best in class, but talk a little bit about what you're seeing from from those contracts. The adoption continues to increase. So in FY22, we saw an additional $2 billion go through the best-in-class contract programs for the professional services category. So it was about a total of $15 billion. And that spend um, happens through not just uh, OASIS contracts. Well, those are um, big drivers uh, that, that spend in best-in-class contracts for professional services, Alliant, NITAC, HCATs, 80 stars, even soup and identity protection services on our mass contract all had contributions in terms of that spend for professional services. Um, one thing that, you know, just kind of gets missed, but it takes a village, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so there's a village of best of class uh, that are helping our agencies, you know, do that professional services work. And from a buying perspective, and I know maybe it's hard to kind of more specifics around that, but are mm-hmm. Are you seeing, are there certain types of professional services that are more popular than others? Have you seen a spike mm-hmm. in any one area? Obviously, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of professional services potentially around healthcare. But uh, now that the pandemic has kind of come back, are you seeing any other uh, uh, interesting trends about what types of services uh, folks are buying? I wish I could say it's interesting, Jason. But um, it's it's pretty steady. It's not. Uh, it's pretty steady. Um, where we see the majority of spend in the professional services space is for management advisory services. So that's really consulting services, program management services. Really, kind of all fall under that that bucket. Um, and close behind that, or sometimes is in first, is uh, engineering services in the professional services space. Those those two buckets of spend or subcategories of spend, as we category managers like to call it, um, are really the, the two key areas of, of spend. And that trend has not really wavered since the advent of category management. Uh, so we spend a lot of time and on Oasis Plus, uh, what you'll see is uh, we've got two different waves of work that we're awarding in that space, and we front-loaded a lot of the program management, intel, engineering, uh, management consulting services uh, scope to go first uh, because that scope is is used so heavily, or those needs are so heavy, all right, uh, across government. So we're focused on on getting those services in place first. And I know that beyond Oasis Plus, you at GSA also uh, handle the HCATS contract. And I think the, mm-hmm. you also, mm-hmm. you, there's several other contracts that you run. And any thoughts, any, anything you'd like to share around those? Because I think HCATS took a while to get going. I know you all have made some changes around it. I think you're even folding some of that into Oasis Plus. But a, a, any other things that you're working on through your uh, um, uh, contract-wise? 
we have other programs besides Oasis Plus that doesn't actually exist yet, but our other programs do. Uh, so, you know, they have, we've really been busy on the HCATS front, just to close the, the loop on that. HCATS will be around through its, you know, full life cycle. HCATS has a pretty tailored scope uh, in terms of the types of human capital services that you can procure. So what we're putting in place with Oasis Plus is one scope that will be in HCATS, but really the broader scope of human capital services that HCATS doesn't cover. Um, This last year, we have seen pretty strong adoption or more adoption uh, on HCATS, in particular from the Department of Homeland Security, Defense Health, uh, also placed a pretty good sized task order under HCAT. So it's really starting, I think, to come into its own uh, in terms of agencies finding value with it. But at at some point, it's going to expire too. So while we were putting a new contract program in place, we wanted to make sure the scope was there to take over when uh, that, that period of performance ends. And then, of course, there's our current OASIS contract, uh, which is uh, really had another banner year. We like to say it had over 16% growth between FY21 and FY22. That was about $12.4 billion in spend. So adoption continues to go up and we're seeing that trend uh, this year as well. Uh, The use of OASIS tends to skew pretty heavy towards the end of the fiscal year. So it's always a nail biter for us uh, to see what those numbers are going to look like uh, at the end of the fiscal year. But we can tell from activity so far that, uh, you know, OASIS is still meeting the needs uh, of agencies. And it is important to point out that you know, that contract program can be used until the very last day for, you know, task orders that can go out an additional five years. Right. Um, also, a couple of things on else on Oasis. Um, you know, we did an on-ramp that we were talking about earlier in uh, 2020, and with the hope of making sure that we really were getting we weren't particularly pleased with the, the amount of competition that we were getting. We had gotten a lot of feedback from industry and agencies that they wanted to see more of their industrial base um, on the contract. And since doing uh, the on-ramps, we have really seen some positive results. So, you know, I guess our evil plan worked. And the good news is that about 150 newly added small businesses have um, won at least one task order since we did the on-ramps. That's pretty impressive. Given uh, the, the number of contractors that were added, and these are companies that had not had you know work previously, so we're really pleased with that. We're starting to see. We also stood up the uh, Oasis uh, 8A contract program, um, and are starting to see businesses in that space uh, get new work. Even on Oasis Unrestricted, uh, there is an additional 30 companies uh, that have won task orders that had not won them before since we did uh, the on-ramp. So um, not only are agencies using it more, but there is more um, industry activity, uh, and we are starting to see so to speak, you know, the wealth being spread across really the industrial base, which is super positive and exactly what we wanted to see. Tiffany, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we can come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tiffany Hickson, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. One of the innovative things about Oasis at the beginning of it was the, some of the work you did with the Air Force or DHS to really get them to kind of move some either work to Oasis or B, stop their own contract proliferation. Have you had other agencies either A, said the same thing over the course of the last four or five years or has said, hey, this worked well for Oasis. Let's continue with Oasis Plus. Are you getting more interest from, from customer agencies who just want to put as much work as possible through that contract? I think the feedback that I'm getting is, you know, Oasis really worked well for the things it was designed for. The, it, it did not meet all of the needs that agencies had. Um, and so, you know, they said, hey, if you can expand the scope of Oasis Plus to really include services that weren't on Oasis, we're going to better able to leverage that kind of contract vehicle. So we think with the Oasis Plus scope that we've, you know, really achieved that goal for agencies, uh, along with the open on-ramping. I mean, those two features were really important. We are not particularly focused on There's not going to be MOUs. We're not doing any of those types of things. Um, But, you know, really positive conversations with our existing users. You know, DOD is by far the heaviest user of that contract program. So we wanted to make sure the scope aligned to its needs. DHS has been a very strong partner using Oasis. And, you know, they said, hey, if you build in these features, it's going to be a contract program we're going to strongly consider. So we made sure to check those boxes. Why build a contract no one's going to use, Jason? (laughs) That was the question. That was the question. Tiffany, one other thing uh, I want to talk a little bit about is Symphony Tool. And this is something you all maybe tested out, piloted, came up with. I don't know how much credit I'm supposed to give you these days without over... over, All of it, Jason. Give give us all the credit. (laughs) Tell us what Symphony is, because I I think it's, it's it's in many ways, again, another innovation that really a lot of other agencies should be stealing from you. We... uh, used the Symphony. It's just a web-based tool that allows us to uh, accept offers uh, electronically. That doesn't sound earth-shattering, but it didn't, it wasn't being used before. Um, And so we tested it out as part of the Oasis on-ramps, and it was clearly very, very successful. I was just talking to the program managers for uh, HCATS last week, and we were talking about when we solicited for HCATs, and that was just, you know, less than five years ago, we were getting CDs in and having to download the offers from a CD into electronic folder, open it up, all the rest of that kind of good stuff. So, you know, Symphony is really a game changer for industry and for us in terms of reducing that burden. You can just go online and submit your offer. Let's see, after we did the on-ramp, I think Astro may have been the next contract program uh, that used this tool and used it very successfully. Polaris uh, used uh, the tool for uh, their solicitation process, and it really, you know, it has been a massive burden reduction tool for both government and and for industry. And for a, a solicitation like Oasis Plus, with six contract programs that you can apply for, you know, we're really trying to streamline uh, the, the offer process, not lose paperwork, all the rest of that kind of good stuff. And it really is, is helping us to do that. 
It has been so effective that we said, hey, we really need to start uh, testing this out on one of our large IDIQ contract programs for ordering contracting officers to use uh, for their task order solicitations. It also has some back-end capabilities uh, for us to be able to track um, what our, our who our customers are soliciting, how many RFQs they have out, you know, that type of thing. And so we are testing um, that piece of the tool uh, as part of our OASIS program. And we launched that this last year and are starting to get feedback from federal agencies on what's working, what's not, what needs to be enhanced, uh, working with our, our software provider uh, on building in those, those new capabilities. For Oasis Plus, it will be a required tool. It's that effective in terms of making sure that industry partners who are supposed to be getting um, task order RFPs are actually getting them. It's really going to help us on that front. So, on the current pilot about for for contracting officers and task orders, the idea behind that is is what specifically that when I'm a contracting officer and I put out a task order against an IDIQ like Oasis, everything goes through Symphony, starting with mm-hmm. the task order itself, mm-hmm. or starting with the bids themselves. Uh, starting with the the task order RFQ, right? So that would get posted, and then industry can come back with their offers through this system. It's an it's also a secure system, um, so they can actually get their offers and have all of that maintained uh, in one place. We'll also be able to track who's been awarding task orders what they were awarded for. Um, Believe it or not, a a lot of this back office work uh, was happening virtually by hand. Um, It was paper-based, which sounds crazy, but it's true. So, you know, for us, this is uh, really important. Um, For Oasis today, contracting officers, for example, can send out task order requests for proposals via email and just get proposals back via email. That's a lot of work, right, for industry to make sure, did they get the email? Um, Should they have gotten the email? Are they missing an opportunity to compete, right? We really want to eliminate all of that churn and have it in a structured environment where we know everyone's going to get the emails they're supposed to. They're going to be able to go into one place, work on their offer over time. Like, Pretty basic stuff, but it's stuff that isn't happening today. So, you know, we, we need to get that in place. I think folks who are listening to this will go, great. How about my contract? Have you started to have conversations with your friends at, across the Federal Acquisition Service about applying this to Polaris or AA Stars or VETS? or the schedules program, uh, are there some of that discussion happening? Absolutely. And I think, you know, someone's got to go first. And as you can tell, we like to be first. So we're getting a, a lot of good feedback and we'll see how it works. I'm sure there are things that we're going to need to adjust over time. And it's better to do that in, kind of in one place so we can make those course corrections, work with our ordering contracting officers on what's working and what's, what's not before we start to roll out that functionality uh, to other contract programs. Tiffany, uh, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So let me thank my guest. Tiffany Hickson is the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. Tiffany, there's so much going on, so much more we could have talked about, but thank you so much for your time for now. Uh, Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 